I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to Really and our uh, the third part of our incredible conversation with Mr. George Knapp. And the credible George Knapp. The, the quite credible yeah. and incredible. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, you're right. Credible. We'll go credible, with that. Credible yeah. with an incredible Credible story. and wonderful, as Dave yeah. also added. Yeah. Um, we, were, we were just talking about, starting to talk about. We had been discussing, we, we, we'd been discussing uh, the history of NIDS and Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, NIDS being the National Institute for Discovery Science. Right. Uh, that Edgar Mitchell was involved with and Ralph, uh, that uh, Robert Bigelow had funded. Uh, and that had wound itself down because of inactivity from the phenomena itself. And you were leading us into uh, uh, what came out of that as a result of your book, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, having been read by uh, a, a gentleman named James Lekatsky. And, uh, and, uh, and he talked to Jay Stratton, I believe. Yeah. So if you can pick the story up from there. So Dr. Lekatsky is a you know rocket scientist, literal rocket scientist mm-hmm. for DIA, has an impeccable record as intelligence analyst, studies other uh, foreign systems. He's a, trained as an engineer, and I think he has two PhDs. He's a smart guy. And he had the highest clearances in our country. And Jay Stratton, who had worked for Naval Intelligence, was also at DIA at that time. They had read the book, passed it around, got an interest in it. So Lekatsky asked permission from the DIA director. Hey, can I go chase this a little bit and see if there's something to it? And they said, yeah. So he he calls Bigelow, contacts Bigelow, comes out uh, to Las Vegas. They fly together to the ranch and uh, just look around. And within 40 minutes or so of visiting the property, Dr. Lekatsky has an experience that seemed custom designed for him. He's inside the ranch house. He's meeting, sitting at a kitchen table with the, uh, the, the two caretakers, the, the Dietzes, um, and Robert Bigelow, and over in the corner uh, of this kitchen, something appears in the right in the room that only he can see. Everyone else is pointed a different direction, and it's like uh, Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, that album. Mm-hmm. This like a tube that's kind of in an ampersand uh, shape. Uh, that that if you ever saw that album, that's what it looks like, mm-hmm. and it's glowing, and it's right there where only he can see it, and appears in this room. And he's wondering to himself, oh, is this some kind of a trick? Are yeah. they trying to pull something mm-hmm. on me here? But doesn't say anything until he gets off the property. He goes back to town uh, and then he he draws it, draws it for Bigelow and shows him, I saw that while I was there. Oh, you saw something? Yeah. He says, I'm interested in this place and what's going on here. And I'm going to make a proposal when I get back to Washington. And he did. He goes to his bosses. He outlined a program um, for studying UFOs and related phenomena primarily a technology program. They were interested in how do these things work? How do you make a, a hole in the sky that goes to some other reality or some other place or dimension? And what are these things flying in and out? Is it enemy technology? Is it hostile? Can we duplicate it? All those kind of questions. He proposes that to Senator Harry Reid. 
And it just so happens that Reed knows Bigelow because I had introduced him back in the NIDS days. He'd gone to that uh, NIDS board meeting and had an ongoing interest in it. So Reed uh, gets this proposal from Lekatsky at DIA. He goes to meet two of his colleagues who sort of oversee the black budget, um, Daniel Inouye, Senator from Hawaii, and Ted Stevens from Alaska. Both of them said, yeah, I'm interested in that. Stevens had seen a UFO during his military career. Inouye said, yeah, he's interested in it as well. Let's get to the bottom of it. So they allocated $22 million for a program uh, to be overseen by the DIA. Uh, the contract was put out. Um, Bigelow lands the contract. Well, you know, it is. I know a lot of people think it's rigged, but it, it did go out to bid. Uh, I think Lockheed was interested, but it was too small for them. Uh, $22 million. And it was supposed to be a five-year program. Bigelow gets the contract. A week after he signed the deal with DIA, he came on Coast to Coast with me and announced it. And people forget it. Um, he doesn't spell it out, but he said, look, I'm, I'm starting a new venture. I have a, an unnamed partner in mm -hmm. this, and we're going to investigate UFOs. And uh, if people had followed the trail of breadcrumbs, they would have known what was going on, but everyone ignored it. You know, and uh, so there it was out out there, mm -hmm. and uh, and then NIDS. I mean, uh, the OSAP program is born. Bigelow creates a subcontractor company called Bass Bigelow Advanced Aerospace Space Systems, a subsidiary of Bigelow Aerospace, where he's building these inflatable habitats. They put out a call to get to hire people. Within a couple of months, they had a staff of fifty people, all of them with clearances, ready to go. I mean. 50 full-time employees is the biggest UFO program that we know of that our government's ever had. Way bigger than Project Blue Book or Sign or Grudge or any of those things. Mm -hmm. Way bigger than Arrow. Yeah. By, and for, better credentials. And better, yeah. yeah and, this one actually wants to find UFOs. Yeah, yeah, they do. So Robert Bigelow is a guy who gets things done. He's used to managing big businesses and his own empire. He's a hands-on manager and boy, things move really fast. They hire 50 people, get them with clearances. They made special modifications to Bigelow Aerospace. They had a skiff installed, and they created a facility that would be able to handle special materials. So mm -hmm. somewhere along the line, they were led to believe that they were going to get some of these metamaterials, things without saying it in the contract, it's uh, crash retrieval stuff. They yeah. were ready to get that stuff. And that so was, he's not just a billionaire trying to skim off some of $22 million. $22 million is chicken feed. Yeah. He spent way more than that on, on the ranch and other UFO investigations, so it's nothing to him. He he's likes having government money that's going to fund this thing, of course, but it, it's it's not something he's getting rich at. They spent way more than $22 million in the course of the next 27 months. You mentioned the metamaterials. Was that based on any belief that there was something on the ranch that we that just hadn't ranch. been discovered yet? No, okay. nothing from the ranch. It would have been from somewhere else. Got it. Yeah. You know, the implication was crashes, crash stuff. Got it. Yeah. And uh, they they fully expected to get some of that yeah, uh, during the course of the study. Yeah, because OSAP is a very expansive right, that program. Is, yeah. Like that's Part of it is focused on the ranch, but it's much more expansive. Than yeah, that. the ranch is just a, a piece I of see. it. And it was like a living laboratory. It was sort of a bonus right. for Bigelow getting that contract, for Bass getting it. There's a place where we can put people and strange stuff happens and we can actually have hands-on experience, assuming that whatever it is decides to play ball, which it did. Um, so, you know, they have rapid response teams. They're going to go, uh, they're going to create the world's largest UFO database, which they did. 200,000 plus cases in, in this database that they accumulated. They get files from other governments. They went to Brazil. They sent investigators to Brazil, to, in particular, to investigate the Colaris uh, incidents, where people were injured, where flying saucers attacked people and burned them with like laser beam type weapons, uh, a case that uh, really is, is still the public doesn't have a great appreciation for. They got those files and other files. They got files from the UK. They got from Canada um, and, and uh, private collections from um, aviation groups. I mean, it's a gigantic pile of stuff. Dr. Jacques Ballet was in charge of creating what they called a data warehouse with multiple levels of, of information, uh, collated by levels of credibility. They would weed out things that weren't supported by additional evidence. So random sightings that didn't have some kind of a, a stable base weren't included. And uh, it was an amazing accomplishment in a, in a period of 27 months. It was supposed to be a five-year program, and but that that's not how it worked out. But in that time, I mean, they send investigators all over the place, investigating new sightings, investigating old sightings, 
and peripheral activity. So strange things that happened in the periphery of UFO incidents that affected human health. That was one of the studies. I got, I got a pa paper here. One of the things that um, OSAP did, Advanced Aerospace Weapons Systems Application Program, that was it, what Thank it you. was called. It doesn't <laughs> have UFOs in the title. Um, doesn't really describe in any of the documents that created it. It's about flying saucers. It talks about technology, exotic, this and that. And, um, and, and what they created was they farmed this out. How put off, uh, assigned 38 papers to be written about various aspects of aerospace technology, future propulsion, warp drive, really exotic, cutting edge stuff. They wanted it to be a baseline of what we know now about how things fly and how machines work how to get from A to B, even if B is way, way out there, and to project it 50 years in the future, what, where, what we might know 50 years hence, what kind of advances humanity might know, so that you have a baseline with which to compare exotic craft that people see. You've got something that's performing way beyond anything that we've got now that's known to exist in this country or anywhere in the world, and it's something else. And in addition, they wanted to study the health effects uh, of human biological tissues. So there was a pretty substantial document that was written that looks at hundreds of cases of really serious injuries, um, psychological effects, physiological effects, paralysis, electric shocks, heat, burns, perception of odors, all kinds of things involving hundreds of people, some of them really serious, serious injuries, uh, a few of which had happened in association with the ranch. The ranch was a tiny part of it, but it was an important part of it. Mm -hmm. When the, so... The, when these reports, those are coming through, the, these are being scientifically studied. They're, they're under the umbrella of a federally you know, funded, mandated. Uh, who, what was the response to that material? Well, at first there was great support within DIA. There were two different DIA directors who oversaw it. They were all for it. It was great. Mm -hmm. uh, when the word starts leaking out about how weird stuff gets, um, then trouble started. Uh, I think what really led to the demise of OSAP is they started asking, hey, where's that material we were promised? And they started knocking on doors. Where is it? We want to see it. They had heard these stories, as everyone else has heard, about crash saucers, about uh, reverse engineering programs in aerospace companies. Let's have it. And I think the last stop they made was at the Department of Homeland Security. They were trying to find another home for it other than DIA, because the writing was kind of on the wall. Harry Reid had written a letter. That's where the, the name ATIP first pops up. It was in a letter um, that was sent to an Undersecretary of Defense asking for permission to take OSAP into a into make it a special access program, a SAP, so that they didn't have to fight every year for its budget mm. and didn't have a lot of prying eyes. People wouldn't be looking at, hey, are you chasing poltergeists? Let's pull this money. Um, that's what they wanted to do. And that letter was leaked to some folks in the Pentagon who were dead set against any kind of research into UFOs and weird stuff. Fundamentalist Christians in high positions who felt that by studying this, you were messing with satanic forces, mm -hmm. that these are not aliens, uh, these, these are demons. And we don't want to be messing with demons as, and invoke them and let them into our world as if they're not already here in some fashion or another. Not studying them would make them go away. I don't know. I don't understand the reasoning for it. but. That was the initial opposition, uh, that this is too weird. Uh, other people who just thought, gosh, we shouldn't be doing, uh, this is a waste of time, weirdo stuff at Skinwalker Ranch, poltergeists, really? Mm. And then just people that wanted to steal the money and use it in their programs. But the final nail in the coffin was going after the metamaterials and the, and the crash saucers and reverse engineering, and that, the door got slammed in their face. They clearly knew they were onto something, mm -hmm. that the reaction was so strong that this was a this was a real thing. This is a, a real secret, and we now know in this this other book that you mentioned, uh, James Lukatsky admits that he he is familiar with uh, one craft, a particular craft. They managed to gain access to the interior, and this thing has no propulsion system that they can spot, no fuel, no exhaust system. Um, how it flies, how it moves, what its purpose is, what its mission is, where it's from, they have no idea. Um, and Lukatsky had direct so contact one of your, with this. With so Lukatsky is one of co-authors of this, which is the, it's inside the U.S. government covert UFO program, initial revelations of follow-up to skinwalkers at the Pentagon. Right. Um, you and Colm Kelleher and James Lukatsky 
And he, so what, yeah, let's, yeah. let's I, dig into that a little okay. bit. I, and one other question too, before, when you're talking about the people within the military who viewed this as a demonic force, and that was their, their objection to studying it. Now, is that, I've, I've heard, I don't know a lot about it, but that, would they be like the, I know there's an informal group called the Collins Elite. Yeah, that's the name we've heard. I yeah. don't know that that's what they called themselves. That's a name that's floating out there, but there is something like that. And we've had it confirmed. I've had it confirmed by multiple people that were on the inside of this thing and, and experienced it directly, had direct knowledge of it. Yeah, um, not an official government organization or no. military organization. But, it's an old boy network. But a col- Yeah, a collective of people, like-minded people who view this subject as being uh, representative yeah. of demonic forces. Yeah, that and, sounds and, pretty old school to name yourself something like that. <laughs> feels yeah. like that's, uh, that's kind of, you know. Um, you know, the, there's a variety of reasons that who would, people who had knives out for this kind of a, yeah. an effort, who don't want it uh, to succeed. Yeah, and, and obviously it seems like one of those groups are the people who have the materials. Yeah, the people who've got the goods, the yes. goodies. They don't want to give it up. You know, mm. there's a lot of discussion now. And they don't now want Congress that, to know about no. it. They don't want Congress to take it seriously. So OSAP was was knocking on doors and shaking the foundations of the secrecy that, that that's permeated our government for 75 years, 76 years. And it upset a lot of people for a variety of different reasons. So the writing was on the wall. Lekatsky and others tried to find a new home for the program, and uh, and it was hands off. When the, the writing was on the wall. When, when Harry Reid's letter asking to turn it into a special access program was leaked on purpose, that was the that was the death knell for the program. Once enough people realized what was going on, they started asking questions. It, it's uh, it's all over but the crying. Yeah, and now as I understand, so Jay Jay Stratton was very involved in setting up the organization of OSAP, right? And now and ATIP is an adjunct. Yeah, so study. ATIP was a nickname that Harry Reid in that letter gave gave it. They didn't want the name to be known. They, Lukatsky and others did not want the name OSAP to be known outside of a very a stovepipe, you know. Mm-hmm. So they used that in a letter and sent it to uh, the Undersecretary of Defense, and it got leaked, and then the, the writing's on the wall. So money gets pulled. Instead of a five-year program, it lasted 27 months, but it met every goal that it was created to do, and it created a massive pile of stuff mm-hmm. that the public has not seen. Is that database, that database still exists? The database still exists, and the database itself is is being used. I think uh, Arrow now has access to it, and, and some other departments have access to it, but the reports... Nobody see. Um, there were the 38 dirds that were written. I released about 12 or 14 of them on my own, and um, and just did it. And, mm-hmm. and 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 they were meant to be seen. They were circulated when they first came out on JWix. This internal uh, uh, net of defense contractors and agencies. They were meant to be seen, and they were highly regarded. It was thank you for doing this. Um, so it wasn't like I was leaking classified secret stuff. The other stuff, though, they made. More than a hundred reports, um, some of them two or three hundred pages long, um, analyzing Tic Tac, for example, um, and other cases like Tic Tac, uh, Lake and Heath, uh, some very, really good work. The nuts and bolts of flying saucers, how we think they work, and all that stuff. Not one page of that stuff has been made public. Now we mm-hmm. wrote about it in Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. It took us fourteen months to get Dopser, what they call Dopser approval process to go forward with what we published. A lot of things that we wanted in the book were taken out. Mm. And mm-hmm. the same thing is happening with this, this latest book as we had to get approval. And I think Lekatsky pushed it as far as he can in talking about the craft, that one craft. But eventually we hope that that stuff will come yeah. out. You know? And I just want to point out this. So, so you, as a journalist, you're privy to all of this information as it, as it is occurring, as it is being accrued. Like you, you're you're kind of on the inside with these people that are running OSAP and doing these studies, and you're hearing all of this through these through all of this, this bits and pieces. Of yeah, bits and pieces. I, I would hear this and that here and there because I'm friends with a lot of the key players, and you know, it's like I've told Jeremy Corbell over the years. You know, the way you become perceived as trustworthy is to actually be trustworthy, and you are shared information. And the reason you get shared more information is because you don't spill spill it. You know, yeah. you sit on it until it's like with the ranch. I didn't do report on the ranch for six to seven years until after, uh, you know, I had known about it. Uh, with OSAP, it was longer than that. You know, I, I'd known about it when the program was created. Bigelow told me 
he told the radio audience without spelling it out. Mm -hmm. but, so that was in 2008, September 2008. Um, in September, in December of 2017, a lot of this stuff comes spilling out in this New York Times story, although they got a lot of it wrong. Mm -hmm. In October of that year, 2017, Lou Elizondo steps forward. He appears on stage with rock star Tom DeLonge, who's a friend of mine. We'd been talking about these things for a long time. They have a news conference, announce the creation of To The Stars Academy. And two days later, Lou and Tom came to Las Vegas, had dinner with me and Robert Bigelow, showed us the, the video, the videos of the Tic Tac and Gimbal and, and Go Fast. And so we knew it was coming. And uh, it was a month later, I started hearing rumblings that the New York Times is now working on this story. Well, I'm saying, well, what the hell? I mean, I've been sitting on this story for nine years, almost 10 years. Why don't I get to do it? And then I got a series of calls. One was from DeLong saying, you know, we're trying to get the New York Times to do this. If you spill it, um, they'll, they'll back off. Bigelow, same call. And the last call was Harry Reid saying, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But look, if you don't do the story and they do it, um, I promise you I'll give you the first on-camera interview as soon as it, it comes out. So I reluctantly had to admit, I am not, not the New York Times. Mm -hmm. If I do the story, it's another UFO report from the UFO reporter in Nevada, and where is it going to land? If it chases the Times off, I, I figure I'll take one for the team or for the cause here. Yeah. and Because uh, I knew I could report on things that they won't know. And sure, I yeah. knew there would be plenty of reporting still left to do, even if they break the initial story. Well, they break the story, and I see the name ATIP. That's the first time I ever saw it, that, that name. And I'm thinking, oh, well, there it is. There's the story, ATIP, Bigelow, Lou Elizondo, all that. Not knowing exactly at the time that, uh, that it was wrong, you know, mm -hmm. that it, it, was, it was wrong. ATIP is something that came after OSAP. Lou Elizondo saved it. I mean, he saved a portion of it. OSAP had had $22 million created and managed by the Defense Intelligence Agency. ATIP was something smaller. It was like a confederation of people in the government. Lou was at the center of it. And they would analyze and talk about UFO cases, but they didn't have an office. Uh, if they had a budget, I don't know what it is, um, but it was good. They kept it alive. You know, they kept it going. Jay Stratton was, was part of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it was great. But when it comes out, the Times reports $22 million secured by Harry Reid went into ATIP, which it did not. Right. It yeah. went to OSAP. And people think that there's no distinction there. Well, there is. Yeah. Know, there's, and I, can we back up just a little bit? Because we should maybe introduce another player in the story who, because I'd be interested because I've heard his side of this uh, many times. But let's talk about Jeremy yeah. Corbell and how you guys wound up working together and how like like how that came about. Because he's very much involved with this this chapter of your sure. of your career. Um, it came about because of John Lear. And look, I, you know, I'm not taking all this credit for, uh, for the events that have unfolded. I, I lucked out. If I had not overheard John Lear talking to Ned, this none of this would happen. Uh, you know, this this series of dominoes that have fallen all stem back to that. Uh, just me eavesdropping on that conversation, and then getting to meet Robert Bigelow, telling Harry Reid, um, introducing Reid to Nids, all that stuff. Along the way, Jeremy gets interested in the Bob Lazar story. He hears me on the radio or something talking about it with maybe with Art Bell. Yeah, and um, yeah. he starts pestering me. He decides he wants to make a film. He's never made a film before. He starts uh, reaching out to John Lear, communicating with him. Wow, your amazing story. I'd like to get to know you. He starts coming to Las Vegas for weekends, staying for days at a time at Lear's house, recording all this information, Lear's great stories, and at the same time, pestering me, calling me. I think he called for a, about a year. Well, I get a lot of UFO calls. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I, I, uh, I used to take them, and I don't anymore. I don't answer my phone at all. Because you never know when you get in a two-hour UFO story and you can't get off the phone. So, uh, and the volume of it is just too much. And I get a, maybe a thousand emails a day, sometimes more than that. It's hard to keep up with it all. So, I have people who are shields for me uh, about UFO stuff, uh, and they would take the calls from Jeremy, and I get these messages, and just I was busy. Mm -hmm. Finally, uh, he calls, and Ian Russell, my IT producer. He gets on the phone. All right, you hold for George Knapp and just listen. Just give me a, let me give you some advice. Get right to the point. <laughs> so, so Jeremy gets me on the phone and he rattles out, blah, 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 talking a million miles an hour. And I want to make a film about John Lear and I want to talk to you. And, you know, 
And I, he tells me, I, he remembers the conversation that there was a long pause. And then I just spilled out like a download of the UFO 101 and Lazar and Lear and all that. And so we had an ongoing conversation that he kept pestering me and came to see me in Las Vegas on one of his trips to see Lear. And he's a likable guy. Mm -hmm. He is obviously a lot of, has a lot of energy and enthusiasm and, um, and we hit it off. And yeah. so, you know, he's, he's continued to work on the Lear story and along the way met Bob Lazar and became interested in that. And then he was, uh, he was very interested in Bigelow and the ranch. We started making some trips there thinking maybe that early documentary stuff that I had shot and never used might be incorporated into a film, which, which we produced in 2017, I think, or 2018. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then later, uh, less than a year later, the Lazar film came out and, and now Jeremy and I co-produce and co-host uh, Weaponized, a podcast. Yes, which which everyone should watch. Awesome. You know, Weaponized is fantastic. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. It really is. Like if you the best source. But he's a he's a great ally. He he's uh, unflappable. He works really hard. People either love him or hate him. On social mm -hmm. media, UFO world, they're always giving him crap, even more than they give to me. Um, but he he's really a solid guy who works really hard and tries to get this story right. And it's tricky. You know, it's a tricky world to navigate. Uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and, yeah. and a lot of disinformation and misinformation and false leads and blind alleys. And it's it's hard. You know, it's mm -hmm. hard work. Um, but anyway, um, my overhearing Lear and then Jeremy connecting with Lear leads to me and him getting together. And he's been part of uh, some of these investigations ever since. Yeah. And um, and so I'm sad we connect. So you're so he's now sort of uh, working with you in, in some some regards. And you uh, so you've just heard about a tip in the New York Times. You've you've kind of fallen on your sword as a journalist and allowed this to go to the New York Times. And what what happens next? Uh, Harry Reid lives up to his promise. He uh, gives me an interview like two days after the Time story comes out. And, you know, we have been able to rekindle our uh, ongoing conversation about UFOs and Skinwalker. Uh, Reid had called me a few times about Skinwalker. I would keep him appraised of what was going on and send him the book when it came out and then would let him know what had been happening in the interim. I remember getting a call from the floor of the Senate. There's, he's in the well of the Senate. I can hear Mitch McConnell in the background yammering about mm -hmm. something. Hold for Harry Reid. I'm thinking, oh man, this must be something important here. Harry Reid's calling me from the floor of the Senate. And he just went to ask me about Skinwalker. He said, George, I'm thinking about sending some of my staff to the ranch and they're worried. They think it might be dangerous or something. What do you, what do you want to tell them? And I said, well, it is dangerous, <laughs> Senator. There are consequences for that. And we can talk about some of those consequences. Yeah. We had invited him and he considered it for a long time, but he couldn't think of how he could go without it getting out. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd have to use some kind of transportation. Does he use campaign funds? That has to be reported. Government right. funds? That has to be reported. So he was going to send staff a few times. And I don't think that ever happened either. But, you know, he and I had maintained a friendship and a, an ongoing dialogue. And he had established contacts with Bigelow, and he was right in the thick of things for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, he gave me that interview, and then I got to meet Lou Elizondo again and did the first real long-form interview on camera with him, and he was telling me about ATEP, and I got invited by Reed to go to Washington in March of 2018. This is five months after the New York Times story comes out, and uh, four months, and I was going to meet somebody there. He didn't tell me who it was going to be, but I had an idea. I had known the name Dr. Jim Lakatsky from the OSAP guys. I'd never met him, um, but I, I knew who he was and what role he had played in the program. And I go to Washington and I'm doing like spy stuff. I changed hotels. I changed taxis. I'm thinking that somebody's going to be following me. And of course, it was all nonsense. Nobody was, but I wanted just to be careful. I go into a meeting with uh, Reed and there's Lakatsky and a pile of stuff on the desk. And he gave me the download on OSAP and how OSAP was different from ATIP and why the two programs were not the same and where the $22 million had gone and gave me an idea of what they accomplished. And he read me in, basically. I knew a lot of this stuff, but really I'd never heard the name ATEP or OSEP. Hmm. Um, and he told me what the real name was, what it stood for, showed me some of the founding documents that had not been made public. And I realized, wow, this is, this is a really big story. It's actually bigger than ATEP and uh, you know the origins of it. And how many of them 
how these events all stem back to things that started in Las Vegas. Because mm-hmm. ATIP was sort of narrowly defined as interactions between military yeah. and ATIP UAP. was military UFO cases. Yeah. Uh, military information coming in from different military sources. They'd analyze military cases. OSAP was all that and much bigger, mm-hmm. a lot bigger. You talk about consequences. You've talked about how um, OSAP was shut down because things were getting weird, which leads me to ask, what is a hitchhiker? So this t- term uh, came from the ranch. Um, people would go there and bring things home with them. And you know, it started during the NIDS era. It wasn't really as prominent as it became later, but the NIDS personnel, people who went there and spent a lot of time, would bring things home. Now, I tried to. I didn't know about hitchhikers. Yeah. And you're not talking about physical things. I brought physical things yeah. home because I wanted to engage with whatever it was. Yeah. I'd bring little bits and pieces home, rocks mm. and things like that to my home. Think, all right, let's go. I haven't yeah. seen anything. Let's. I wouldn't do that again. Yeah. Um, because, but the people who had the hitchhikers. Yeah. Well, that was that was bad. So this was like an attachment. This is something that people who visited the ranch, it attaches themselves to them and comes home with you. And it happened to Robert Bigelow, and it happened to Colm Kelleher, and it happened to me and mm-hmm. um, and other people who went to the ranch. They had, during the OSAP period, they'd had a number of intelligence uh, officers, battle-hardened, tested, trusted people, who many of whom would carry weapons. They'd been in combat, tough spies, hardened people who would go there, and all of them had experiences, all of like some weird stuff that they would encounter on the ranch, a a dark presence. Um, there were three of them walking in the middle of the homestead at one point, and they it, the temperature drops like 30 degrees in a second in this spot. And they sense a, a dark uh, hole uh, in, in front. It's already dark out there in the middle of nowhere. And this thing was threatening, felt threatening to them, which other people on the ranch have felt before, and have directly had messages into their head, you're not welcome here. These, these three people all took something home with them. When they went back home, it, it followed them and it manifested itself in their homes in a variety of ways, none of which were pleasant. Um, there was a female agent, uh, like a female James Bond, tough as nails, uh, uh, beautiful and experienced, she goes back from the ranch after seeing something really weird with Colin Kelleher and walks in the door of her apartment where her roommate, her fiance is. And as soon as she opens the door, a bottle of wine flies from a rack on one side of the room and smashes on the wall on the other side. Oh my God. And then for months, they're tormented by these strange things, orbs, lights in the, in the room, in their apartment, um, shadowy figures that they're seeing in, in, at all times of day or night. Both are, both are seeing. Both of them are seeing. Mm-hmm. And it's driving them crazy. The roommate leaves, breaks off the engagement, and gets the hell out of there. Um, this other guy, uh, we call him Axelrod, he goes home, and it, it spreads to his family. Uh, they start having trickster stuff where they got a great big dog that they have in the backyard, and they find it up on the roof, on the third, on the roof of mm-hmm. their house. Dog didn't yeah. climb up there by itself. No, cats do that. Yes. Yeah, it's a husky. It was a Siberian yeah. husky. It didn't climb climb I'm imagining my bulldog no. uh, at the top of my roof. Yeah. Yes. They start having the same thing. The guy's kids are seeing these things in the house, lights, orbs, things moving around. Uh, the wife is doing dishes, looking out into the yard, doing dishes at daytime, and looks out, and there is a wolf uh, standing on two legs, paws folded like this, leaning on a tree, looking at her. And she's thinking, what the hell is this? Now, am I really seeing this? The next day, she didn't say anything to anybody. The next day, the kids are, the two sons are in the other, in the main room. They're looking out a window in the same area. They see this wolf again. Mom, they're screaming. There's a wolf on two legs out in the yard. She comes running in. They see this thing. It looks at them and takes off running on two legs. Running Mm -hmm. on two legs, kicking up leaves down the street. Um, This is the the family of a high-level intelligence intelligence guy. Very experienced guy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, absolutely trustworthy, trusted by our government with national security matters. Absolutely. This goes on. It's still going on. Still it's, going on. It's, it's still uh, going on. It's 13 years later. Yeah, and they're still having experiences. They're still having it. Experiences. You yeah, mentioned including you the wolf. Is that I don't know about the wolf, well, but the things. I would at least want that. Shadow to go figures away. in the house. Shadow figures. They yeah. want it all to go away. You, yeah. you said you had an experience. My wife yeah. did. Now I've never seen anything, not at the ranch and not at home. But she started seeing the. She had these blue orbs in the sky. I mean, right, we have a courtyard and sit out at night and look at the sky. And um, she was yelling for me, and I didn't hear her. And she goes running downstairs. You got to come up here. These blue things are in the sky. By the time I get up there, they're gone. Which that's wow, that's cool. I, I hope they come back and I see them again. And then there was another experience that was not pleasant: is something got on top of her mm -hmm. uh, in our bedroom, and it's real. It's, she's awake. Uh, that same thing happened to Mrs. Bigelow mm -hmm. and Colin Kelleher's wife. Same thing. She had a similar experience, and it's not, it's not fun, and it's not funny, um, and it's real. And know? it seems like a conscious choice to, to target the spouse, the, the you know the loved one. Yeah. Of That's someone right. who has seen something, you know, not uncommon, you know, with gangsters. Yeah. That, you know, <laughs> you might not be afraid for yourself, but what if we do this to your to your wife? Yeah. I know it's weird. You know, yeah. it, uh, it, there's similar parallels in poltergeist and ghost research. I don't, you know, I don't know but, how much credibility. Yeah. That's not my field. But it implies a conscious decision making yeah. behind the phenomenon. And it, it was almost viral in how it spread. Like in that one family back east mom the kids then the kids friends started seeing stuff mm. um and i i don't know if the power of it dilutes uh the further out it goes but it's a uh, column who's a biologist you know it's microbiology he had compared it to viral a uh, viral spread uh mm -hmm. we don't know what that is don't understand it it certainly adds an element of weirdness that is does not help the credibility of the whole thing it's a it's been a source of considerable yeah. scorn and derision and people who read skinwalkers at the pentagon ah poltergeist hitchhikers dino yeah. beavers you know all that stuff but no one is happy about reporting this but what are you supposed to do leave it out oh that's, it's too yeah, silly exactly you you leave can, it out yeah yeah just because it's complicated i mean it's obviously complicated there's no way there's no way there's you there's no logic to what's going on there and so yeah you're under an obligation to report it and and it makes it a a target but it's the most i find just kind of disturbing and um fascinating uh some of the stuff that was now is it an exclusively skinwalker phenomenon or does this happen to other experiencers don't know i mean mm -hmm. well actually yeah it does happen to other ones kenneth arnold the first guy to see ufos his sighting in 1947 kicks off the modern ufo era people think that was just a, a flying disc flying saucer kind of an incident it wasn't he his family said he was tormented by the same kind of activity poltergeist type weirdness in his home for the rest of his life mm -hmm. um some of the pilots i think from some of the most famous recent cases have had ongoing experiences as well. They got too close to something that was too strange. Now, does this does the propulsion system, whatever it is, of these exotic craft tear open some fabric of reality and let something else in? Um, you know, well, it's interesting. Yeah. It, it robs us of, of knowledge, the fact that that becomes the sort of you don't go zone. And it's interesting, like I think when we were talking to Leslie Kane, you know, she would talk to all these pilots and she talked to generals and was of course trying to keep, uh, you know, I think we'd asked her, was there any additional phenomenon going on? And it was sort of like, yes, but for the story, it was just good, you know, because yeah, it just she, opens up a kind of can yeah, of worms. Yeah, she and Ralph Blumenthal steered clear of things that they thought would cloud the issue. Yeah, well, you know, there's a wide yeah. variety of ways to look at that. Yeah. Um, I understand that. I, I understand. But, and it's probably would have been a really heavy lift for them. I, I applaud them. Yeah. Look, you know, if they hadn't done that story, that, that changed the world. So I applaud it. It got things wrong. Um, uh, you know, the explanations of why they got it wrong, 
are 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 uh, multifaceted. Yes. But, um, yeah. But the record has been cleared since then, and it's not ATEP versus OSAP. There's no conflict there. It is a seamless transition. Lou Elizondo is a hero for coming forward with that stuff. Yes. It's not him versus Lakatsky. They're two different programs that flowed from each other. Both were real. Both were important. And uh, there's not they're not right. at loggerheads. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know. Well, and, in your your interview with that you you and you and Jeremy put out with with Jay Stratton, there was like that through line of Jay sort of organizing both right. of these programs. Jay was uh, Jay was there when Lakatsky started off with the OSAP program. He was there helping uh, Lou Elizondo with ATIP. And then afterward, he was pulled back in, just when mm -hmm. he thought yeah. he was out of UFO <laughs> world, pulled back in. After the New York Times story comes out, he's pulled in because he has some expertise in this. Hey, uh, we need you to head this up. And he becomes the head of the UAP task force, which did some really incredibly important work, credible yes. stuff uh, for the, the time period that it existed. He puts together this 22, 23 minute briefing document that had the best uh, video and photographic evidence. And he did this, the briefing itself was classified. However, not all the images inside the briefing were classified. So Jeremy Corbell and I would occasionally get some things, not from Jay. Jay has never leaked anything. Yeah. Uh, so we would get, we got some of those images and have made them public. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was an embarrassment to Jay um, but he owned up to it. So when we would publish these things, the the proclivity of the Pentagon to say, we're not commenting or it's not real or they try to discredit it, that's what they've always done. Mm -hmm. Dismiss it, belittle it. While he was in charge of the UAP task force, these images come up, he he owned up to it. He told them, hey, that is real. That's from this report. It's, a, it's an unknown and we have investigated it. Yes, that stopped. When Jay and the task force left, you know, it, just when the task force is given its most important job by Congress, write up a comprehensive report of where we are on this investigation and, and give it to us in six months, they decided, Jay, we need to move you over here into this <laughs> job and, mm -hmm. and took him out. Now, he was yeah. he was high up. He had clout. Yeah. They left that UAP task force with no staff to speak of. Travis Taylor, Dr. Taylor, we now know from Skinwalker Ranch, that TV show, was the chief scientist for the UAP task force, which I got to break that story after we went to Huntsville or two years ago or so. Mm -hmm. And um, he's working with Jay and and telling him about these weird things that are happening in his life because of things that had happened at the ranch. Yeah. And so they start working together on the task and, force. And, and somebody else gets hired, or not hired, he's already on staff at, at another division of uh, American intelligence. But he gets the job of becoming the inside investigator of UAPs, and that turns out to be David Grush. Is that correct? David Grush, yeah. yeah. So while the UAP task force is under Jay Stratton, um, you know, he's reaching out to other aspects of the intelligence community. He, he wants help in figuring this out. He wants to know who knows what. So we've heard these stories forever about crash saucers, reverse engineering, metamaterials, right. all that. It's what, in essence, was the final nail in the coffin for OSAP. They wanted that stuff. They'd been told they could have it. And when they went looking for it, the door gets slammed in their face. Jay Stratton gives a, a job to David Grush. Grush is working for the uh, NRO, uh, the National, National Reconnaissance yes, Office. Yeah. Right. Um, he, he's, he's working in very secure positions, has high-level security clearances. Uh, Jay Stratton gives him the job of finding out through special access programs who's got what. And yeah. Grush goes to work. And he's got the clearances and is read in on something like 2,000 yeah. SAP. something like 2,000 programs that he looks at. He goes and investigates it. He interrogates witnesses in these special access programs, and he finds it. He finds the goods. He has people who tell him they've had hands-on experience with these saucers, with reverse engineering, with exotic technology that we did not make. We're taking this apart, trying to duplicate the technology. It's stashed away here, here, and here. Specific buildings programs. He knows where it is. He gets sworn statements from these folks. And as soon as the word gets out, filters out that he's working on this, bad things start happening to him. You know. Well, I guess I could just ask, how did you meet David Grush? Um, so it was June of 2022. I was going, Jeremy and I were going to go to Huntsville. They were ahead of a conference. The SCU organization has a really good conference. It was a great lineup of speakers. Which is the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. Yes, right? UAP Studies. It's Huntsville, Alabama, based in Rocket City there. 
And uh, that also happens to be where Jay Stratton had moved, where Travis Taylor lived. He, they both were working for a company called Radiance Technologies. I think uh, Jay got hired first, and then he brought in Travis. Radiance Technologies uh, is a defense contractor. They got offices in 17 states at U.S. Air Force bases. They do high-tech stuff, and they specialize in reverse engineering. What a coincidence. Yeah. And um, <laughs> okay, let's just, let's just, I, I got to read. So we have Jay Stratton, who is a top level naval intelligence officer, has been covering this UAP topic off and on for 20 years, was highly top secret in this for, for quite a while until recently. And then Travis, who is both sort of lead researcher for the reality show Skinwalker Ranch, is also has security clearance and is also. Was working on the a real optic UAP scientist, physicist, and and so forth, and working on the UAP task force. Yeah. I'm just the collision of sort yes. of reality TV yeah. and and real intelligence and government yeah. and all that. And and I guess one side thing. So it vouches for in your mind the reality of what they're doing on the show, just as a yeah. side thing. I mean, like, Travis is a serious guy. Yeah, he's okay. a real guy. He's had security clearances and worked for the Department of Defense for 20 years since okay. he was almost since he was a teenager. Okay, worked on some really good stuff. He is a smart guy. Yeah, uh, and and and. And Jay Stratton has actually gone, he's gone public more and he's appeared on the uh, uh, Skinwalker yeah. TV yeah. show this past season. And yeah. you say they're working together, because we do want to get to the crush thing, they're working together at a reverse Radiance. engineering. A company that specializes in reverse engineering. And Jay Stratton also had a specialty in reverse engineering, not just technology, but situations. He would re reverse engineer particular national defense strategies and mm -hmm. situations. So. That's what he does. That's what he always was good at. Along the way, he got stuck into some UFO programs as well. Awesome, mm -hmm. ATIP, UAP task force. But they both end up in Huntsville working for the same company. That company has uh, bases in 17 states, offices attached to U.S. Air Force installations, including right here, Nellis Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. uh, and Wright-Patterson, by the way. And Wright-Patterson. Wright Do they have mm -hmm. a UFO? Is that well, that's what I asked him. I, I said, hey, you guys... This is really interesting. Can I come down? Can we see your company? Can your, would the company president talk to us or somebody from the sp a spokesperson? And they said, called back and yeah, they will. So we went, we went to SCU to be at this conference and there were multiple uh, objectives. I wanted to see if I could get Jay Stratton on camera mm -hmm. and we did and yes. we got him on camera and we used it at part of it. Part, it, yeah, Ho and weaponized more is coming on that because it's a great interview with Jay Stratton. There was, was a lot more that we did not use, and then yeah. we also got Travis Taylor at that time, and he revealed to us, and then subsequently to the world, that he'd been the chief scientist on the UAP task force, and then he introduced us to the the head of Radiance Technology, who gave us a tour around part of the plant. There was a lot of stuff goes on there that we were not allowed to see because it is classified work. And so I asked him on camera, I say, are you guys building a flying saucer? What are you, what are you doing down here? He says, well, and he kind of smiles and we'd like to, you know, we'd, <laughs> we'd like to take, you're reverse engineering something? Well, yeah, we'd, we'd take that contract if we got it. No, it was like an open solicitation. If you got a flying saucer that you need to take apart, bring it on down. Yeah, I, I didn't mm -hmm. bring mine, but yeah, I mean, that's good. Do people have them just to, <laughs> you know? Okay, that's, in, that's, All right. I don't that's know. so that, interesting. That's wild, but yeah. if, if I had one, I'd take it to sure. that. Sure. A lot yeah. of, there's a lot of interesting oh. coincidence, yeah, yeah, a lot of serendipity there. And and all of those threads, by the way, all lead back to Las Vegas, but, yeah. you know, yeah. one way or yes. another. So I'm going to SCU. I want to see the conference. I hope to get Jay Stratton on camera. We luck out and we do that and we get to uh, interview Travis as well and learn this about him. We do a story about Radiance Technologies. And I was told that there's a chance that somebody else is going to introduce themselves to us at this event. And sure enough, I'm sitting at the bar and Jeremy has a photographer along who is shooting a cutaway of me sitting there at the, at the exact moment that Dave Grush walks up and introduced himself. And we started a conversation and we spent more time with him away from the conference uh, and got the lowdown on what's going on in his life. And he shared with me that day, the day we, the next day after we had met him, the complaint that he had filed with the uh, inspector general for the intelligence community, he was already getting grief. He had started this investigation at the behest of Jay Stratton, had done his job as requested by his employer, the government, had found out there is in fact evidence of crash saucers and reverse engineering and hidden goodies inside special access programs. He'd reported it up the chain through the proper channels. 
And he starts getting shit for it. They start yeah. messing with his life. And this is an, an investigation that he had spent four years on, I believe. Something like right? that. Yeah. I'm not sure well, it's that long, yeah. but something like that. Yeah. What's the nature of the messing? Um, they start to pull his security clearance. They're threatening that. There's uh, rumblings about dark things in his past. Uh, he's under some surveillance. Uh, he knows that they're messing with him. We met him in there at Huntsville and got to know him. Two months later, Jeremy and I are, are invited to speak at the Star Trek convention. Mm -hmm. uh, Rod Roddenberry, son of Gene Roddenberry, is a friend of Jeremy's from childhood. They said, look, we're going to show the Star Trek crowd about UFOs, give a presentation. Great. Well, we tell Grush about it, and he flies out for it. He's a Star Trek fan, like many of us are. Mm -hmm. And we meet him at this event and spend two days furthering the conversation. He does not stray over the line. He does not spill national security secrets, but he did help us understand the big picture on things that are now public. He goes back. He leaves here on a Sunday night. Monday morning, he reports to work. He's met by some guys, armed security that escort him out, stripped of his security clearance, suspended from his job pending an investigation, and that he had uh, uh, spilled secrets, that he was uh, his character was suspect, that there were uh, you know, that maybe there were mental health issues. And he's floored by it. Not entirely surprised, but really upset about it. So for the next several months, he's like in suspended animation. He's fighting to get his, clear his name, get his job and his security clearance back. And he does. He'd already reported this stuff to the in inspector general. So they knew what was up. And they issue a ruling that, look, this is serious stuff. This is real. We believe him. And this has to stop. So it's retaliation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Retaliation is real. Yeah. And it's it's timely. This matter is timely. And uh, because he's already submitted all kinds of sworn statements to the inspector general. Was, was Jay Stratton able to help him in any of this? I mean, Jay Stratton was removed from his position. He'd so already he been taken have, out yeah. okay. of the UAP task force. And when you're being wow, accused Wow, so it's of, almost like separating. Yeah. And if he's being <laughs> accused of leaking confidential material. It's not just his job that's at stake. It's his yeah, freedom's sure. at stake as well. Yeah, exactly. And so the, the stakes were high for him. Uh, he he followed the proper procedures. He did what he's supposed to do. He walked between the lines and had followed the procedures set out by a whistleblower law that had been crafted in large part by the guy who became his lawyer, Chuck McCullough, the former inspector general for the intelligence community, who's not entirely unfamiliar with this, this playing field, I would say, mm -hmm. and uh, who has represented him, who was there at the congressional hearing in, yeah. in July, uh, sat behind Dave Grush, next sandwiched between me and Jeremy Corbell. And mm -hmm. all through that hearing, every question that gets asked of Grush, uh, Chuck is barking, no, no, don't answer that. You know, he's- Really? Yeah, was, there was some places that he wasn't supposed to go. Can we just yeah. s just say like what an amazing accomplishment and to see you there behind yes. David Grush and uh, like what a testament yes. to the work you've done over 40 years. I how mean, many, yeah, how, many, yeah, how far out on the diving that, board you were before any yeah. of this, you know. From yeah. eavesdropping on, on John Lear and Ned Day. Yeah. To sitting in uh, a congressional hearing what like, must, what was that? Like no yeah, other in the history of mankind. I, there was I'm, a, I'm watching it on TV at home and I'm like welling up with emotion just seeing you there. There was a moment uh, yeah. for sure not that I realized, holy crap, this is real. You know, and I've said it before. I, I never thought I would see all this stuff in my lifetime because I've you know, been banging my head against the wall for a, a long time. And um, it's kind of been a long slog, a lot of it. Um, but it was amazing. And I, I am still the pessimist in the room though. Mm -hmm. The keepers of the secrets are better at their job than I and people like me are at ours, and they're not going to give this stuff up. You know, Dave Grush told it to that congressional committee, and the members of that committee were intent on having further hearings, getting a select committee created, and having subpoena power to go after this stuff. They know where it is, or at least where it was. I don't, I'll believe it when I see it. I yep. think they'd have to yeah. get that stuff at gunpoint before anybody's going to give it up. The Schumer legislation that's proposed is very encouraging. It's mm -hmm. a carrot and stick kind of thing. Look, if you turn it over now, all is forgiven. But if you don't, you're not going to get more government contracts. Yeah. Whether they enforce that or not, I don't know. Is and, that enough to get it back? I and don't there's know. felony enforcement built into the Schumer yeah. legislation. Well, there's, I'm right? you know, I'm hopeful I mean, that it passes. I'm hopeful it passes in that form. But already the forces uh, on Capitol Hill are yes. pushing back. And uh, we, yeah, we talk about support. There's a fellow named Mike Turner, <laughs> Mike Turner, Representative right. Mike Turner from uh, from uh, Ohio, 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 
and he has a, an interesting constituency. Yeah, he represents Wright Patterson Air Force. He's Space a movie villain. Let's be honest. He's a movie <laughs> villain. Come on. He's, He's the mayor of Jaws who says uh, <laughs> yeah, Island, yeah, those beaches will be open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he's reportedly told members that there aren't going to be any more hearings. There's not going to be any select committee, and, and yeah. he opposes it. Well, and he wasn't even shy about saying that he does that it will be embarrassing to the uh, Department of Defense. Yeah, well, that's that's why he's been quoted, and he's yeah. also made comments about Grush. He's gone on television and said, "I I really find it amusing," or you know, it's so entertaining when these people don't know what they're talking about come forward with statements about UFOs. I think Dave Grush knows a lot more about UFOs yeah. than Mike Turner does. Yeah, or maybe not. Maybe Turner does know. Yeah. And has decided mm -hmm. which side he's going to be on on this. But, you know, if if there is any way in hell that those defense contractors and the Pentagon can use the considerable clout and influence they have on Capitol Hill to stop this process, yeah. they will do it. Well, they are using the fact that he is following the rules against him because yeah. they keep holding up. Oh, every time you ask him a question, he says, oh, that's classified. And people who know better, people like Mike Turner, who knows better about the nature of classified information and what you can and can't say. And right. what and he knows, he must know what David Grush can and can't say, but still he's using that uh, observance of the law that, that David Grush is sticking to against him. We, we've heard there's other whistleblowers in the pipeline. And certainly you'd know more about this than we would. Has what's happened to David Grush I personally, from a civilian standpoint, I don't I don't feel like they've really laid a glove on him in terms of actual, you know, they made this terrible attempt to smear him. And we spent a whole hour and a half on the podcast just saying how like kind of wretched that was as the son of a veteran and all that. Just how dare they kind of try to call out PTSD as some way mm -hmm. to not believe someone or take away their credibility. I thought that was disgusting. Well, but. it's sort of like what happened to Lazar. You know, he had a lot of bad things happen in his life, things that he allowed to happen, you know, that were, you know, that were real, uh, but got blown out of proportion and he got slimed. And there, I think anybody who is a whistleblower can see what the potential is. And mm -hmm. they have to wonder, what did I do back in high school? What, mm -hmm. what was that girl in college? And, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of scandal, what kind of bad habits do I have or something like that? Because whatever mm -hmm. it is, it'll come out yeah. if you go forward. So yeah. is it having a chilling effect, do you think? Oh, I'm sure it is, you know. Yeah. Especially when combined with statements from the director of Arrow, the current UFO program, we've seen no reliable evidence of some anything that defies the laws of physics or alien technology or whatever terminology he used. We know those whistleblowers have given a testimony. We know that he's supposedly seen it. And he, the fact that he says he does not find it credible does not encourage people to come forward no. and spill more beans. No. You know? And after so. 40, 50 years of research and volume, like the, it's it's sort of absurd. It's an absurd statement, but it's it's a purposeful statement. And there's a mo you know, clearly a motive there. Seems like it, you know. Yeah. And even if you just look at the David Fravor testimony, I mean, almost anyone would consider that credible evidence oh of gosh. something that is defying our, our known understanding of physics. The Tic Tac case is incredibly important, maybe the most important case of all time because of how well documented it is. That's not our technology. I'm sorry, it's not. Mm -hmm. That was in 2004. Mm -hmm. If it's ours, where is it? When are we going to break that open? Yeah. The same things were flying around in 1947. We've been keeping it in a, in a hangar since then. It's it's uh, We've been flying them, building them. It's Chinese spy drones. Uh, what is it? Um, mm -hmm. That's not our stuff. Well, we know it's not our stuff, and it's not Chinese, and it's not Russian. It's from somewhere else. Yeah, uh, that's the mystery. Uh, you can say it's aliens, non-human intelligence, but you know I've been pretty far up the food chain, and I don't know anybody who knows for sure what the answer is. Yeah, and whoever has it has doesn't have to worry about any known adversary. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you get that technology if you can build one and fly it, you win. Yeah, and that's what like David Favor said in his congressional. Yeah. Testimony said, you know, this, uh, there's nothing we can do to combat this. Yeah. Right. You, you were, there was something I saw, um, and might have been another interview you were doing, and you, you, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the exact where you were sort of saying, like, because my feeling, our feeling, I'm sure all our feeling is like disclosure will happen. It'll happen somehow through academia, through science, maybe, maybe the government, but it's happening. Let's say it's just happening. People are believing more. There's so much evidence. There's so much out there. The work you've done, the leaks in the dam, like it will give way in some capacity. But you were, you had a quote that was kind of, you were like, well, what if it's not great? What if it's yeah, not I a mean, great thing? And I'm wondering, 
You've been what thinking about this a long time. I was like, what, what, was there any particular conversation that prompted that Bits thought? and pieces here and there. But I mean, you know, there are some fairly dark scenarios that could end up being the explanation of why the cover-up started and why it continues. I, I'm not giving them an out. I'm, I'm not, because they've lied and, and, and distorted and, and misled the public, Congress, all of us, um, about the nature of this phenomena, what we know and what we don't. Um, I think maybe there might be some good reasons for it. You know, maybe the explanation is so unsettling that it really would cause things to hit the fan, you know, that people could not handle it. Uh, uh, let's say, you know, it's, um, we're an experiment, you know, we're, and time's up. Uh, we're, mm -hmm. a, we're a simulated reality. Uh, I don't know that it makes that much difference whether we're simulated or not. Yeah. Some days feel more real than others. I know that, um, uh, you know, I, that we're property, mm -hmm. that yeah. we're, we're a agricultural commodity, but we're needed for something that they milk out of us or, you know, there's something more exotic than my limited brain power can come up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I was gonna say when, when a laboratory experiment on rats ends, uh, the next phase isn't good for the rats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not like rats don't get a nice retirement home at the end of it. Yeah. I mean, my job is to try to figure it out and tell stories. And if I can get the information to tell it, uh, you know, and people have asked me at some point, well, what if? And, and I don't know the answer mm -hmm. to that. Uh, I've always reported the things when I can, when, I, when it's confirmed and it's ready to go. But um, if confronted with something like that, uh, something existential level uh, reality, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, I think I've, I've been sort of paying close attention to this for probably like really close for less than 10 years. And I, and with all the, as interested and as, as, as intrigued and excited as I'm about, I know that there's a certain part of me that feels a, a deep seated dread about, about this subject. Do you have that in yeah. you? Somewhere down there, yeah, for sure. I still keep plugging away at it, but yeah, I got a, there's a feeling that won't, a nagging little voice in, inside my head that says this, this doesn't, doesn't end well. Um, I don't know. Then maybe, I don't know. Maybe that coin flip might've been better if it had come up Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii's um, always there, you know, Hawaii's yeah. a lovely, a lovely think, destination. Yeah. Do you ever think about that a lot? The life you, you the life you would have led if you, if the, you know. I don't know where I would have ended up or what I ended up doing. I wouldn't have been a journalist. I don't know what I'd be doing, a bartender or Your something. Surfing yeah. would be incredible. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, like I said, it's amazing the series of coincidences and synchronicities that all stem back to, yeah. to Las Vegas. A conversation overheard with John Lear and then meeting Bigelow and Bigelow and Reed and, uh, you know. Um, in, all, in all of your travels, is, and as we, as we wind up this incredible talk with you, and thank you so much again for doing this, is there a single piece of evidence that stands out to you that just kind of locked in a belief that this is, was there, what is, is there a single piece of compelling evidence that, and you, that you think back on is like, yeah, that one was, that pretty much blew my mind. A couple things. One is what I already mentioned about the paper trail. There is a paper trail that just lays it out pretty firmly and strongly and very clear and direct language. This is real. It's from somewhere else. It's not us. Right. That's our government talking to itself behind closed doors, thinking that it's never going to get out. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's one. Two is uh, people I know well who have been read in, who have been told, here's where the stuff is. This is what it is. This is what we've got. Um, they're not making it up. They were allowed that information for a reason, and uh, and it's real, and they know where it was, if not where it is. Uh, that was a sort of a, a moment for me when I heard that directly from people that I know really well. You know, that would do it. Yeah, and that I would do you, it. And I think you and I know Lou Lou Elizondo. There's when he speaks of it too. There's that that same. There's a deep sobriety and somberness that comes over him when he talks about where this is heading. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know. You yeah. know? They did that Brookings Institute report a long time ago that looked at what if we found out there was an, an intelligence and another alien civilization more intelligent than us. You know, when you are discovered by somebody else, it's, you know, Columbus Day, today we're recording it's, this. Mm. We know what happens to the natives yeah, who get happening. discovered by a more advanced uh, civilization. 
it doesn't end well. It's happened on this so. planet thousands of times to different yeah. cultures. You know, they, they couldn't. I, I like to be uh, optimistic. It's not my nature. I, I saw the last year or, you know, months ago, we had three UFOs shot down in the course of a couple of days. We know one of those is a balloon. The other two, we don't know for sure what it was. And the public was really interested in it for a couple of days. And then it's like, okay, what's on TV? <laughs> um, yeah, when's the Barbie movie coming out? And, yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe I'm short selling the public on its ability to roll with the punches, mm -hmm. or or we just have to not underestimate the ability of other forces to distract and to dissuade and to uh, discourage people from thinking about this because you don't want to become you don't want to become that you know as I've turned Tom into. That crazy guy at the party yeah. <laughs> who uh it's happened it's happened yeah. now I, I warn everybody i'm like how much do you want like i can i you want a two a four like eight like in terms of how much dialed yeah. in now i feel like i <laughs> you know um well but, so whitley straber said the first time i ever interviewed him 1989 or 90 uh he says look the true architects of the secrecy are them whoever they are yeah they are the ones that have misled us they've had secrecy has been their mo since the beginning we get little tiny glimpses of a reality that we do not understand, they could land on the White House lawn. They could make some announcement, unless we're just so far below them. What is be like us talking to ants? Mm -hmm. You know, they're the ones that have, have kept this mystery going. Our government has been complicit in it, and other governments have as well. But they're not being honest with us, whoever they are. Yeah, and they can. That's they can, and perhaps will be the ones who make yeah. the, the final call. Well, it's not. It's not a good example uh, to, to set here. You know, it's not exactly an open uh, sort of dialogue between us and them, whoever yeah. they are. Yeah. Well, well, what is not a secret is the incredible legacy you are, are leaving and, and have, yeah. have uh, given us and the impact on the culture that your reporting has, has left. Um, and this has been amazing. Awesome. Yeah, wonderful. And, uh, but although I will leave you with one other thought. I've seen a lot of, uh, in Hawaii, a lot of leathery old hippies <laughs> who take tourists out fishing and they look awfully happy. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's I'm not closing that door yet. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, this is, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, I think, I think when uh, the, this history does get written, the contribution you've made and the, and the, 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 the thread that is George Knapp well, is going to be really, really significant. I've been lucky, you know, it's a lot of it's just luck, just being at the right place at the right time. It, it's been a heck of a ride Yeah, and I'm not done. I mean, no. we've got a lot of stuff to do. You know, no, still. no, you, you've got, I know you've got projects coming. You've got, you've, you know, there's more information that's going to come, come down, yeah. become public. And I think you're going to be at the heart of all of this as long as it's going on. Yeah, we can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait to read the new book, yes. uh, which is Inside the U.S. Government Covert UFO Program, Initial Revelations, sort of the follow-up to uh, skinwalkers at the Pentagon, which gave me and my wife nightmares. Uh, yeah. that, and uh, but really right, interesting. Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. did it. No, it was really, yeah. really fascinating. And yes. um, and of course, everyone should be should be subscribing to uh, Weaponized. The Weaponized. Podcast. Oh yeah, Weaponized is fantastic with uh, Mr. George Knapp and Mr. Jeremy Corbell, and we're uh, super grateful yeah. for this. And yeah. hopefully, we can do it again sometime. Well, thanks, guys. Don't Thank get arrested you, while you're here. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to, you know, stay away from Dave because that's what you got to do. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now I want to look through some of this stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Cheers. We'll see you soon.